Hello and welcome to There's No Business Like, a podcast where friends and industry colleagues explore topics and interview leaders in our industry of professional theatrical touring. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's Danielle Van Hook here from the Alderton McLean, Virginia, and I am here with my friends, Kevin. Kevin Maynard, Executive Director of Quad City Arts, splitting the border between Iowa and Illinois. Katie. Hey, it's Katie Miller with the Midland Center for the Arts in Midland, Michigan. Brian. Brian Zelmer from KU Presents in Kutztown, Pennsylvania. And Josh. Josh Benson, rocking it from Marion, Illinois. Well, welcome everybody to another amazing, incredible, and fulfilling episode of There's No Business Like. To kick us off here, I have a question for you all that's maybe going to make sense in a few minutes. Have any of you ever been in an actual organization or just sort of worked really closely with a family member? Uh, well, my mom used to was famous for her garage sales when we lived in Massachusetts. And my brother and I uh, would uh, have a little like coffee and muffin stand at the end of the driveway and sell people coffee and muffins at 6 a.m. when they would come shop at the garage sale. So, uh, mm. yeah, that's Sounds the only delicious. time I've ever worked with a was family Was it profitable? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Katie, I've got some follow up questions. Um, one, uh, did you make the muffins yourself? Well, Probably my mom. My second question is, did you have a business license or was this an illegal operation? <laughs> so, I mean, I was probably five. So little Katie breaking the law. So. We call them tag sales in Massachusetts. So it was technically a tag sale. I want muffins now. <laughs> Me too. I have an amazing cranberry orange pie in my kitchen right now. It is the best thing I think I've ever baked. I had a piece right before we started. So my wife and I have a children's clothing store together, uh, Whimsy, a children's clothing store. And honestly, we work really well together. It's primarily her baby, and she's the driving creative force behind it. Um, she curates everything for the store, and I'm there in a primarily in a supportive role. And so for me, my job in my mind is to be supportive of her so that it can facilitate success within the store. I, I would say I'm in sort of a, a similar situation with Josh. Um, like we don't own a business, but like my wife does a lot of contract work. And so she is in the process of starting her own studio and does a lot of like nonprofit consulting work. And while I am not heavily involved in that business, there is a lot of things that I do help as, you know, sort of that support system. Um, I also, as you know, have an accounting background. And so I'm very like accounting and numbers focused. So we have a lot of conversations about that, to, you know, help either some of her nonprofit clients or for her business. Um, but overall, like it is, it is her thing. Um, I enjoy, you know, the bouncing of ideas, but it is nice to see how happy it has made her being out on her own and doing her own thing. So I've talked about how my wife was a professional ballerina. And uh, when she stopped dancing, she opened up a performing arts school back in 2002. We opened that together as, as co-owners of the business. And right from the beginning, the best way for us to work is by division of labor, where we have very clear boundaries of what she takes care of and what I take care of. As an arts administrator, of course, I take care of the arts administration and the marketing and the bookkeeping and, you know, making sure the taxes are done and blah, blah, blah. I also am the production person in charge uh, for the shows, for the performances, but everything else, all the artistic stuff, all the teaching curriculum, working with the parents and the students, that's all her. We're still trying it. It's been 21 years and uh, <laughs> we'll see. I'll let you know in a few years if it's successful or not. <laughs> that's really smart, Brian, like separating that like that. Um, well, I'm super impressed by you all and... It's definitely a trend, I think, in our industry where family members, spouses, close friends be in business together formally or, or informally. Um, I'm not and never have been. And I think that that is serving me well in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm fully kidding <laughs> in that aspect. But yeah, I mean, I am super impressed um, just by all of the endeavors that you all are able to do and with a family member is it's got to be super rewarding. So today we're going to be talking to a married couple um, who have a business together. Um, Devin and Lolita Walker, they are the co-owners of the Uncle Devin Show and multimedia company and, and, and the ands keep going. They never stop throughout this entire episode. Um, so I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm Lolita Walker, co-owner of The Uncle Devin Show. And I am Devin Walker, a.k.a. Uncle Devin. 
also co-owner of The Uncle Devin Show. So can you tell me about The Uncle Devin Show, your business? Overall, The Uncle Devin Show is a multimedia musical experience for children that uses drums and percussion to cultivate their minds. The dynamic cross between DC's Trouble Funk and Schoolhouse Rock. We now have grown into uh, arts integration a business, and we are also a DC certified business enterprise that do a whole host of music, professional development, and multi-disciplines uh, and uh, beyond just music. And we also own We Nation Radio, which we started now almost six years ago. Oh, wow. It's a 24-hour children's music radio station, primarily by um, family music artists that focus on children. And we play anywhere from go-go, hip-hop, world music, R&B, R &B, jazz, all for children. And now we actually have an app that you can download on any device. Mm -hmm. We Nation Radio stands for Watoto Entertainment and Education. And Watoto is a Swahili word for children. And so you can just go to We Nation Radio with two E's in your app store and download it. And we're also available on Alexa, Fire TV, and of course, WeNationRadio.com. So you said a multimedia company. So you're doing yes. artist residencies with you and with other artists as well. With correct? other artists as well, yes. You have a radio station. You're doing live shows. Are there other parts of the media that you're all kind of managing as well? We also do uh, assemblies, workshops, and professional development training for children and adults. That sums it up. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah that's a lot of <laughs> business arms. Yes. So you're both co-owners. Are you the two employees? Are you, are you both making all of that happen? We are, um, but recently we, uh, within the last six months, we did hire a part-time administrator and she also helps with programming for We Nation Radio. She's the program manager for that as well. And then we do have a social media team that we work with, but I should say marketing. They're really more than just social media, definitely a marketing team. And they're absolutely amazing. We definitely wouldn't be able to do it without all of them. So you're an artist, self-represented, but you're also an arts education company. What is your day-to-day -day like? How do you two <laughs> separate how all that works? Are you playing to like what your strengths are? Are you just getting it done? How do you make it all work? We do. I, for me, I probably handle more the operational aspects of the business, contracts, invoices, booking, things of that nature. Also, the discovery calls. So anything with the back office work, mm -hmm. I primarily handle that sometimes. Uh, I'm also a roadie. <laughs> I, do, <laughs> I do that work as well. It's like whatever it takes, but hopefully we'll be able to have someone help with that as well. But I do all of that so I can leave the, the creativity to him so he can concentrate on the music. He can concentrate on the development of the programs that we offer and things. I mean, we tag team, um, but I do my best to because also when I say back office, I mean accounting, working with the bookkeepers, all that comes with it. Yes. Yeah. And, and if I help out much with the operational, it's a lot of grant writing. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So we've done uh, a lot of that. But also even, you know, Lolita was very uh, instrumental in getting, helping us to become a certified business mm -hmm. in D.C. But then once you become a certified business, there's a lot of steps that, that takes place there. So while she's handling what she's handling, I'm handling all the other part of it, making sure that we're connected with the with the appropriate business codes so that we can get solicitations for, for certain contracts. Our goal is not just to wait for an art organization to call us and give us one or two shows. We want to book our own co uh, contracts. I mean, you know, get a two or three year contract uh, working at a school or a library or a park or, or something to that extent. And a big part of what we, that's very important to us, is to make sure that the artists are paid, not just fairly, but appropriately uh, for the work that they do, for their proprietary content, for the time spent on development, not just that 45 minutes to 30 minutes that the public may see. There's a lot that goes into it. We want to make sure that they're, and we are compensated appropriately. So that's always a challenge. Um, and Devin does work with the teaching artists of the Mid-Atlantic as well. He's on the board. Advocacy is very much a huge part of what we do as well. Yeah, I want to come back to that. I'm curious, though, with all of the things that you're doing, how much of your time when you're at work, you know, quote unquote work, <laughs> do you think you spend performing or doing something creative versus doing the business of all of it? Let's say this week, every day this week, we have a, a show. 
Uh, the shows typically are in the morning for, for an hour. Because I'm, I'm partnering with uh, Miss Nikki, Nicole Addison, she came by and we just had a rehearsal. So that was about an hour. But the vast majority of that time um, is really right. Uh, you know, we have a partnership right now with a nonprofit organization, Carpe Diem Arts. They, it's what we, what we call Uncle Devin Show and Friends. And we are doing a ukulele training class for elementary school children. And it's really, our part of it is strumming is drumming. And theirs is ukes on the move. So now developing that, you know, they already have a curriculum. So now I have to write out something to add our content to it. I, I tell Lolita a lot of times that sometimes I'm just tired of creating. I think every day we have to create something new whether either it's on the instrument, but most times it's just it's writing. Children, <laughs> learn your English and your math and all that. You're going to need it if you're going to be in business because it is a lot of technical writing uh, that's required. Many times. So as a drummer, you're finding yourself doing a lot of script writing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I bet that was a surprise. <laughs> I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. <laughs> So we've learned a bit about your business and all the different things that you do, but I do want to know about you individually. So if you wouldn't mind sharing your origin stories about how you got to here as a co-owner of the Uncle Devin Show. Well, I don't know if we even mentioned it to the audience, but we are, we're, we're married. We've known each other for some time. So we were friends for years and then we reconnected in about 2008. Long distance, you know, romance. And that's really when he kind of just started talking about the Uncle Devin show. Mm -hmm. And then right before I left New York in 2012, he had just released Drum Tales. Mm -hmm. And actually, we attended Kennedy Fest that year. The way that it came about is I was an artist like many oh, people. I was doing jazz and R&B and hip hop. But when my nephews, my three nephews and my niece were born, I wanted to share music with them, but I couldn't let them listen to a lot of them popular adult music. It just the content wasn't there. So I, I would create my own music for them. So in the, as they, the two oldest one went to college, the other ones were maybe in junior high and high school. I started recording the songs that I had done for them and did, I never released it. Um, it was an album that was called Uncle Devin all by himself. And uh, I was a youth director at this church and the youth loved that, that album also. People started calling me Uncle Devin. Uncle Devin, when are you going to do another <laughs> album? When are you going to do another album? And this was around the time that Lolita and I started connecting beyond friends. And she was in New York. I was here. And uh, so I decided to look into this because I had never, I didn't even know that this was an industry. And then I heard about a festival in New York called Kindy Fest, which is a place for ch uh, for children's music artists to come together. And we just have a weekend of conferences and discussions and showcases. showcases and we just learn about the industry. And I never knew it existed. I went to New York, Lita came there and we, we just, I learned so much. And that, that's when I realized this is what I wanted to do. And so I dropped all adult content after about 2012. And I just said I was going to do this uh, full time. Well, you were still doing it part time because he was actually still working uh, up okay. until 2018. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was working in non-music. Yeah. <laughs> regular nine to five. Yeah. Until 2018. Yes. Uh -huh. Lolita, when you were in New York, were you doing something that was like next to the arts? Something that was um, like, do you feel like preparing you for like this role as everything behind the scenes? I do. I do. I was actually in the fashion industry when I was in New York. I went to FIT. That's I left UMBC to go to FIT. What is FIT? Fashion Institute of Technology. Thank you. So, yes, yeah, so I was in the fashion industry for my, you know, for all those years that I was in New York, about 16, 17 years. It's very much a business. Everybody, when they think about fashion, they just think about design. But it's very much a business. I've been a brand manager, production manager, and things of that way. So it really taught me about details. Mm -hmm. Everything was just so detail-oriented. And so um, even like putting on fashion shows and things of that nature, I use some of those same transferable skills is what I call them. And I still use some of those same skills today in working with Uncle Devin. And about the time I was leaving New York, I had started an event design and planning business on the side with the business partner in New York. So even those things are transferable skills for the different types of events that we're doing and bringing people together. And it all led to here. <laughs> it really did. It really did. Yeah, it's so interesting because there's so many routes, 
sort of roundabouts um, mm-hmm. in doing this podcast that we've really heard that people have kind oh. of like <laughs> gone on to get to like the touring and just arts industry world in general. And I think it's so fascinating. And, you know, some people too, when they get out of college, they have a hard time finding a job in the industry and feel yes like it's not gonna happen and work mm-hmm. out but like really kind of hearing about how there are so many transferable skills that are definitely helping yes. today I think that's so so important so you're saying yes. in about 2018 is when you guys decided to go all in on this business we did yes yeah it was risky right right before the <laughs> pandemic <laughs> and what's interesting is we mentioned Carpe Diem Arts and the owner founder of that is Busy Graham and she told Devin maybe about 10 years ago, you know, he could do this full time. And we were like, no, you know, like we just didn't think it was possible that people actually did that. And so we credit her and we thanked her just the other day because, you know, how do we go about doing that? And so we appreciate that she saw him and had that faith, Mm -hmm. right, you know, from the beginning, so. So you were you doing like small like weekend gigs and and so sort of things sort of like building up to that 2018 all in? I, it was probably more than a weekend gigs. <laughs> I actually I worked at the local transit authority, but Metro is a 24 seven operation. Definitely those that work at night. So I would volunteer a lot to do the night shift to keep me available to do shows during the day shift, and I did that easily for about three years. Easily. And- Easily. And not just one show a day. <laughs> yeah. Mom. Sometimes three shows a day yeah. and then you would go in and work yes. through the wow. night. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's when we realized that if yeah. we weren't working, I could make even, we, we could make even more. But yeah. with her help, and and, and again, it, it, it's hard to do it by yourself. So to, to know that I have this support is great. And so many people recognize the support I have with Lolita that is now leading her into her own business uh, where people are asking her to come and do for them what she's done for them for Devin show. Well, that's a fabulous lead-in. Tell me about that. <laughs> um, he's been trying to get me to do this for years. <laughs> and some have asked over time. What we find is a lot of artists, they only want to do the art. Mm-hmm. They don't want the business side of it. They don't want to do the contracts. A few have been asking me in last summer. Actually, it was a client of ours. She said, Lolita, I love the way you all work. You know, I can always trust that you're going to get things to us on time. And if you ever decide to go in business for yourself, I'll recommend artists to you. That was like two years ago, during the pandemic, actually. And then Devin kept saying, you know, people are asking. So finally, actually, Miss Nikki, last August, I was sick as I don't know what. And she called. She goes, do you think you can manage me? And I said, well, I'm not official. I haven't. <laughs> and I just started. So I just started doing it. And I just started still thinking about what does that look like? What does that mean for Uncle Devin? You know, how do I balance the two? Because mm-hmm. I'm still co-owner. But yes, in March, I launched Carly Entertainment LLC, where I will do management and booking and consulting for artists. Wow. So it's still very fresh. Mm-hmm. I am legal. <laughs> the bank account is there, but now I'm working all all the other aesthetics, you know, the logo, the website. So all of that is still in the works. And sure enough, that client that recommended that I do this a couple of years ago, just last week, called up and said, hey, did you ever start that? I have some people I want to send your way. Out wow. of the blue. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really just working one direction and people seeing what an awesome right. job that you're doing and seeing a need for that kind of work. Yes. And I can't say that I know everything there is to know. I'm still learning. But as long as they're willing to take that chance with me, I'll always do my best. Well, and one of the things I also make sure anybody I work with is that they also understand the business side of it, whether they want to or not. Because mm-hmm. even you know, if I send them something, a contract, they need to understand it. They need to understand what they're getting into and what they're signing. So I recommend them to a few organizations where they can get that advice and set themselves up as a business. And also if they want to become a certified business enterprise like we are, whether they're in DC, Maryland, or otherwise. So they can go after the bigger contracts and expand beyond music if they need to. So whenever you were starting in the fashion industry, I'm sure you didn't see yourself as really in the infancy of starting an agency, which sounds like it's got like a roster. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not um, <quite. laughs> on its way it might have a roster Not before quite. it has a website um which yes. is like a good problem to have. i know and another artist shared with me he said lolita make sure that your roster is really diverse not in just the types of music but the types of acts so like i said she actually recommended a storyteller to me mm. and a latinx group 
And, and I love that. And these are people, I might have heard of the one group, but the other storyteller, I had never heard of her. She's Native American and she's amazing. And, and it's yeah. kind of consistent with what we both are, because even though we have our own business, we're just as interested in helping other artists yeah. get out here. Any contact we have, if the contact doesn't mind, we're going to share that with them. Anytime we can help, that that's our biggest model. What's meant for us is meant for us. There's, right. We don't see it as competition. We see it as um, more educational opportunities for our children. It seems almost inevitable that yeah. yes. you are kind of going to get to this point. And I'm like, I can't wait. Check in in five years from now and just see. <laughs> That'd be what, awesome. Yeah, like where the idea has gone because it just, it can bloom, right? It yes, can bloom from absolutely. here. It definitely can. And there's so many takes... different arms of this. Yes. Of this mm-hmm. arts organization mm-hmm. and agency, really, that, yes. um, that the two of you are holding up. That's incredible. Yeah. And it always, it's a lot of work, but it's just like, as long as, what we've kind of learned is as long as you're working toward your goal, mm-hmm. usually the doors and the windows will open. Or that, you know, when you hear those no's for so long, something, you know, that's meant to be for you will come. And that's is pretty much how it's Is it scary to like embark on something that feels new? When you kind of feel yes. like you got the Uncle Devin <laughs> show down and, you know, you're running and, and now like opening up a, a different bank account and a, and a new kind of arm. Is it is it, it scary? It, it's scary. I think anytime you start something new. But be, Devin ha, has always had the mindset that anything is possible. Kind of like my mom. And like nothing is impossible. So even when I have those doubts, he's and not that he's trying to solve problem solve for me, but we are able to bounce things off of one another. We don't mm-hmm. always agree. Right. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> we don't always agree, but that's good because you're challenging mm-hmm. each other. Yeah, I always say that it is scary, but I'd rather create a new path than follow someone else's trail. Uh, or sometimes that's what's required, and you don't know what's on the other side. But but I, I like the the adventure. Yeah. And you're gonna blaze trails for other people. <laughs> yeah. As well. yeah. Thank you. And that's yeah, that's what it's yeah. about. And people helped us. We had mentors mm-hmm. and, you know, people who helped with just, if not consistently, just whenever we need it. We hope to continue to do that for others as well. Yes. I'm just so inspired by the two of you and, and oh, all you, the Dana. different ways that you're working within music and within creating peace, like looking at it from another perspective. It, it just seems obvious, right? But you're you're building all of these things and it's all towards that one goal. And it's just so wonderful. Just like taking a little step back, I just wanted to say I met Lolita in January at APAP this year and we just got to talking and that led to you all just performed your big go-go band as part of our Juneteenth celebration at the Alden and McLean Community Center. And it was go-go for families. And it was just such a wonderful event. And it's just one of those things that just like the perfect meeting, like the perfect place, the perfect time. You know, I only like scratched the surface of getting to know everything you all do. I'm just so impressed. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. So I wanted to go back to something that you all were talking about earlier, and that's being a board member of the Teaching Artists of the Mid-Atlantic. Can you just talk about like what that organization is and what you're doing on that? The Teaching Artists of the Mid-Atlantic, or TAMA, is an organization for teaching artists by teaching artists to help to support, empower the artists to be their best. But the history of teaching artists is one where people are used to exploiting us as artists in terms of low pay, sometimes no pay, where they require us to give our intellectual property where some other people will control it and own it. Well, the teaching artists of the Mid-Atlantic is simply just an opportunity for us to educate ourselves and empower ourselves so that we can take control of our own uh, our own businesses. We are businesses. Whether someone want to be a business or not, the moment you take money for something, you're now a business because by law, you're supposed to pay taxes on that. So you're an independent contractor. And what we do now is we actually educate teaching artists about the difference between an independent contractor and an employee. Uh, part-time employee in particular. In addition to that, we do a lot of training around, as I mentioned, uh, you know, about contracts, a lot of training around how do you say no? Because many people feel that if you say no, they won't get any any more work. Well, sometimes saying no is the best thing that you can do, but we're many of us have been so isolated. So we have a, a space where on a bi-weekly basis, artists can just come in. We have what we call a TA Cafe, Teaching Artists Cafe, where artists just 
come together and we just talk about what's going on in the industry. We compare notes, we encourage one another, we get ideas from each other. And there hasn't been one time where I haven't joined one of those conversations where I haven't left there motivated, just hearing what someone else said or what else someone, someone else shared. And you also do a lot of, quite a bit of advocacy work. Oh. They just helped someone who was going through something in New Jersey mm-hmm. and helped her to resolve that. And that's, this is the beauty of it. Like you say, when things come full circle, um, many jurisdictions now are expanding their, uh, their state laws, including D.C., to include independent artists. So if an independent artist feels that they're being discriminated against based upon their race, color, sex, gender, sexual orientation, age, all those things, they now can file a discrimination complaint in their individual states. Now, as an artist, I'm able to come in as an artist. I have a, a training called EEO for the, I mean, EEO through the arts, where I'm teaching them about you know how this applies to us, and you and able to use my own artistical abilities to uh, to make it fun and not a boring uh, process. So, uh, so really, it's really about helping us to understand our rights and our responsibilities as artists. That's an incredible resource because where else do you learn that other than? learning it on your feet if, if you're exactly. in that position. And that's that's an awful position to be in and, yes. and to be learning. So that's a huge resource that, that you're providing for that community. I did see that you do advocacy work for fair wages for teaching artists. So can you just tell me a little bit about what, um, like what you want to see or what that would look like? The best example is a pay wage calculator that has been created by the Teaching Artists Guild. It's not it's separate from the uh, from Tama, type in Teaching Artists Guild and look up their pay calculator. They've created this calculator where you type in your experience, your city, maybe a few other details, and it will let you know what the minimum amount you should be making uh, as an artist. And it sounds a little bit like a union where you're trying to help raise the the, the, the standard, but we're not a union. We're This is just an opportunity where we can use stuff like this uh, pay calculator to be able to help. Part of it, again, goes back to letting lawmakers know that we are here. Traditionally, there hasn't been an organized effort uh, to support us as artists. Most art organizations, most art organizations, I will say this, don't list teaching artists or artists in their mission. But yet everything they do is about the arts. And it's really not necessarily their fault. That's just the history of how things have been. There's one organization that's one of the largest organizations in the region. They don't even have a, a artist on their board of directors. They have lawyers and real estate agents and 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 that's good. But if 80% of the work is being done by the artists, we need to be a part of that. Our goal is to be able to give people these tools to be able to say, well, look, this is what we're at. This should be the minimum. Mm-hmm. Minimum amount. That doesn't mean you can't go above that. Use that as a standard where other, you know, where organizations, everyone can kind of come to the same process. And what that will do is it will force organizations to request more money when they're doing their grants. Many times, the only thing that they really are focusing on is their overhead uh, internal to their organization, uh, not necessarily the minimum livable wage for the artist. And that's one of the things that we want to be able to change. Because what they don't consider is that the artist has overhead as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, our insurance has gone up. Oh. General liability, and now more and more jurisdictions are requiring us to have cyber insurance, you know, sexual molestation what is insurance. cyber also. insurance? Um, I think that's to protect against uh, things such as hacking. Or, or, for instance, we did have a colleague that was doing a Zoom, and somebody did a Zoom bomb. And I think it was explicit. And you have families on here. Oh. You have children on here. So then in that situation, you might also want to have professional liability. So, yeah. you know, all those are extra expenses. All of these are things that we have to account for, whether you're a teaching mm-hmm. artist or performing artist, in, you know, the rates that we charge. Yeah, it's really to help, help yeah. protect us from losses that we may gain as a result of cyber attacks. Mm-hmm which yeah. are very, very real. I mean, especially during the pandemic, 90% of all our work was online. We, we, we definitely need to, need to protect ourselves from that. Or like, you know, we, like for instance, we use this one program or portal where we do collect information from our clients. There, it could be payment, it could be anything, all that personal identifiable information. So yeah, you kind of have to protect yourself against yeah. that. That's the first I've ever heard of cyber insurance. Oh yeah, yeah. more and more people are requiring yeah, that that's a, that's... from us. 
So it's, and it's yeah, a and lot. you start out as a drummer, and you don't ever <laughs> think in your life no. you're going to need cyber insurance. No, no. But yeah, but, no, all of yeah. those things add up. And like you were saying too earlier, there's the time that the artist is at the venue, right? But then there's all the prep prep time, exactly. The yes. script writing and all yes. of the things that are outside of that mm-hmm. that arts proficiency um that yes. are you know really leaning on other skills as well as as a small business yes so true <laughs> absolutely absolutely and so for us um moving helping artists to not only see themselves as businesses but like lolita said educating them on being a small uh, a certified business and the benefits of that and recently here in dc we were in negotiations to be a subcontractor for a summer program we went from potentially if we would have just been a teaching artist we may have would have made ten thousand dollars for it. they offered us a hundred and thirteen thousand dollars for that same work because we were certified businesses Unless you look at her lives. <laughs> so, yeah. So why? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where is that disparity? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, the difference is this. In Washington, D.C., where we're based, any contract over $250,000, the prime contractor must utilize 35% of that with a certified business enterprise, CBE, or a small business enterprise, SBE. We're both. Mm-hmm. So when this contract came around and we identified ourselves as a CBE, they had to negotiate with us uh, because we were CBEs. And so we don't see that many opportunities mm-hmm. uh, so far. It's only been two years for us. And we haven't seen that many just Actually, yet. Actually, that was the first. And that was the first one. <laughs> but um, but that, was a, that, that contract is a one-year contract with an option of four years. All you need is one that can really set you up nicely, you know, and... Uh, but now we're at the table, whereas the, the contract needed to hire a whole bunch of teaching artists. So if they would have just hired us as a teaching artist, okay, here's ten thousand dollars, okay, and that's and I and that's, you know, and that's 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 one thing there. But now we're in a position to not only you know get that money, but then now we can hire teaching artists and pay them what they are worth versus what that company was was paying right. for teaching artists. Uh, which was well below. Because in the grand scheme of things, even that 10000 they were offering wasn't truly what they were worth. They should have gotten more of that contract. And we did challenge them on that during the negotiations. So I do want to ask you a little bit more of this, because really one of the missions of the, the podcast here is to learn and to share what we didn't know starting out. And, mm. you know, I think at this point, um, we've all learned a lot about what you need to be able to do as a teaching artist, as an artist, as a touring artist, somebody who's starting a small business in a company. For us, one of the things was that I guess we appreciate, we contacted, in order to even become a CBE, DC uh, Small Business Development Center. And really, they walked us through the process. So I would say one of the mistakes that we made was sometimes paying a lot of money for people to help us do certain things. And in high, now we've learned that they would have helped us for free from the beginning. (laughs) So I would say maximize the resources that you have that are available to you that are free in your municipality, wherever you live. And the truth is they helped us in such a way we would have loved to have paid them in any way, shape or form, because (laughs) the, the advice that they gave, you know, they literally talked us through and walked us through the application for, to become a certified business enterprise. And how long did that whole process take? Oh, well, gosh. let me just say that we didn't work full time on that because we we're doing shows, <laughs> yeah. <and> contracts. <laughs> yeah. But a friend of ours who did it in the state of Maryland, she was able to get hers in eight months. Mm-hmm. Ours took a little longer because we had to wait for other some tax documents yeah. and, and other things. But really, if you work as fast as you wanted, you can get it. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that you have to wait on that that you don't even know that you need until you need it. For example, in Washington D.C., they have this thing called the Clean Hands Certificate of Clean Hands. Yeah. Who knew what that be? And, and guess every individual in D.C. has one, but most people never use it. But if you're going to get a grant, you have to get this Clean Hands Certificate, which basically say. You don't owe any taxes. You don't only have any outstanding tickets or um, de- or debt more debt, than one hundred dollars. Debt more one hundred, yeah. and you may not even know any of that until you go to request wow. it. Then the process of getting it cleared is the problem. Right. So one of the processes that we've adopted that we didn't know before, we check periodically because yes. one time it did mm. prevent us from getting a sizable grant. But it's wow. one of those things where 
they're not sending you a notice saying, hey, you owe this or you need to fill out this form. So we had no idea. It wasn't something that we did intentionally. We just didn't know. Yeah. And so it's just now we kind of regularly check it so that they, if there is something that we need to work on or some new tax document that we didn't know about, we're more informed and we're prepared well before yeah. <laughs> we need a grant or anything else that we're applying for. And I would just say definitely have that person or that you can go to for business advice. Yeah. You know, we've always had an accountant, but we now have somebody that we can really work with and understands our business. I, and that, though, yeah. to me, those are the biggest that, things. And yeah. hopefully you won't make some of the same mistakes we make. Also know your worth. Be willing. Yeah. It's harder when you're starting out to say no to things. But once you kind of know, and luckily we have mentors that said, hey, if you're only charging, like when you first start out, maybe $3.95, you're hurting other musicians as well. Because they're thinking, oh, well, this person's only, you know. So we had to kind of figure out, okay, well, what's fair? We, we weren't trying to be greedy. <laughs> we, we all know we're not going to get super rich from this, but we just needed to know that it also business plan, you know, that also helps. So you kind of know what your expenses are, what you need to cover. And that also sometimes determines your rates and we have to factor in all those things. Yeah. And I would just say as much as people only want to focus on the creative, if nothing else, find someone who can help you with the business. And if you can do it with an organization such as the Small Business Development Center, all the better if you're just starting out and don't have the funds to pay for something. And just about every state yeah. has a Small Business Development Center. So wherever you are, just mm -hmm. look it up, give them a call, and set up an appointment. This is what they do. I think I could talk to you all all day. Um, but we do have to wrap up. You have such a wealth of knowledge. And there's a couple of questions we always ask at the end that I want to ask you. And the first one is, if you could go back in time um, to maybe like right before you went in all out on the Uncle Devin show and, and making that the business, what advice would you give yourself? The first thing for me, I would have allowed others to come in to produce my, my albums. I did it all myself more ears, the better. I go back and listen to the songs. I mean, they were okay, but they could have been a lot better. Being willing to seek help and assistance instead of trying to do it all yourself. It, it, it certainly, that would have helped me out tremendously and helped the quality of my music a lot more. So if I can talk from an artist standpoint, that's one thing I wish I would have done. I think another thing is, and we will both agree with this, taking our time to make financial decisions. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of slick talkers out here. Yes that will appeal to your emotion to get started and will take advantage of you. So I would I would say that the one thing we will we can we can honestly say is don't let no one rush you into making a, a decision. Take your time. Uh, if you if you feel any slight like I'll give you things we we were about to we were thinking about doing a, a, a mobile app. Oh yeah. <laughs> and someone introduced us to someone and, and you know do a mobile app and they said okay it's gonna be about ten thousand dollars to do the mobile app. But look, I got one slot left and we got to let me know by Tuesday. Now, we didn't know that. We definitely knew. We both knew not to do that. But sometimes if you're desperate enough, and you don't know. You just. You know. yeah. So if anyone rushes you into anything, don't do it. It's got to be in your own time and in your own space. Uh, Lily, did you have anything to add? It's easy for us to say now, know your worth. But even then, it's just yeah. like know your worth. Hopefully you're able to talk to some people who might give you an idea whether about fees or even just things to consider in your pricing, even if they don't give you, you know, what their rate is, just things that you actually need to consider as an artist, as you're embarking on this, because we, we were pretty low to start out. Oh, no. We were very low. Cause you don't know. This one Dang restaurant, that. fast food restaurant. Yeah. Yep. Had me come in for free. Cause that whole thing was, we got a lot of traffic. You can just mm -hmm. come in and, and I didn't know I'm going in there for, they didn't even give us a curly fry out of that place. They didn't give us nothing. I guess part of what Lolita's saying is don't do things for the exposure. It, uh, mm -hmm. it very rarely work out. It's uh, I tell people, no, no, thank you. We're overexposed. And we no longer do door shares. Yeah. We're like, no. So we no longer do that either. And <laughs> I think those were the biggest things because it's true. You do harm other artists and you harm the industry overall. And that's just something that you don't want to do. Uh, and I guess we could say now, take time for yourself. It's a lot of work, but you we're actually, I've, I've created Dev's Days 
on the calendar. <laughs> now we got to create Lolita's day. Yes, we do. She's horrible with that. But yes. Mm-hmm. But you have to take care of yourself. It's a lot of work. Yeah, especially as spouses too. Like, I feel like anyone who's who's married can say, you know, I I think even getting this far, <laughs> I don't know that we would have made. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's time time for yourself is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And what do you like most about the business now? Working in the arts, you know, you're working really local and also touring. So with all of the things that you're doing, what do you like best I, about the work? Hands down, it's the children. Oh my goodness, they the the joy they bring us, the laughter, the inquisitiveness, the love is just incredible. One of the things that I never get when I'm doing adult shows is the type of you know, the ch- children are paying attention. They want to be involved. They want to learn. And they are funny as all get out. So I, I, I think for me, I would say, without a doubt, it's the children. And you could be having a bad day. All kinds of stuff could have happened, you know, in our efforts to get there and do the thing. But he's right. You know, you'll, you'll just spot something. And you're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> when that parent or that teacher comes up and says, well, this student never dances. Yes. But they dance today. Yes. Or, you know, you'll see some of the children have to wear headphones. They have, I hate to call it special Audio, needs. But even, yeah, but auditory. they also equally enjoy themselves. Yes. Yeah. And um, so, yeah. It's just, you can feel it. Yes. yes right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they'll let you know. Yes. <laughs> you know, they're wanting to come up and hug them or no, they're crying no. because they got to go. But yeah, if you're having that bad day and you just see the joy in their faces from this. Or, or actually, we just got a gig because a child went home. And told their parent who told a teacher. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, and because we always ask, like, how'd you find out? And we love it when it's from their kids or yeah. somebody's child. So, yeah. That's such a wonderful yeah. way to end this conversation. <laughs> uh, thank you both so much for sitting down with us. I'm excited to share your story and what you're doing here in DC with a wider audience. And we wish you all the best. Thank you so thank much. You, thank, thank you, Danielle. Thank you so for inviting much. us. And I'm yes. so glad that we got to meet that day and that you thought enough of us to invite us not only to McLean for the Juneteenth show, mm-hmm. but for this program. So yes. we love the work that you all are doing yes, as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank we you. appreciate it. What an impressive couple Lolita and Devin are. I so enjoyed learning more about them. You know, I think the conversation you have with them really fits the mission of this podcast, which is to pull back the curtain and learn about the business side. There are so many aspects of about being a teaching artist that I had not thought about before or had only thought about at a surface level. So thank you so much for bringing them on and giving them this this platform to share their experiences um, and their deep level of knowledge about the teaching artist world. Yeah, the teaching artist aspect I thought was truly fascinating and their conversation surrounding sort of minimum pay for teaching artists and the the calculator that they shared, I thought was really interesting. Um, I think that that calculator in itself, I think is a really fascinating tool. And I think it's a great starting point for many artists and even organizations. Obviously, I think that there are some things in that that I would tweak. But for as an organization, I looked at that and looked at, you know, what are we paying our, our our contracted artists? And so it gave me an opportunity to see, like, at least in this level, like, are we sort of at least fairly paying our artists and, and teaching artists there? Um, and I will say, for the most part, I was happy to see that we're we're fairly good. We need to raise in, in some areas, um, which I will now use this as a tool to to start driving that conversation. So I thought that was really a great starting point for that. Yeah, I have to agree. It's a, I looked at it too, and it's, it is a really cool idea. And I think it probably works really well in the areas where they've developed it more, but obviously there's still a lot of places in the country, like here in Kutztown, I couldn't really get accurate information for this area. The closest I can get to is Philadelphia, which obviously is very different than Kutztown's, uh, you know, financially and, and many other ways. So I think in time, as they tweak that and work on it and expand it and get other partners maybe to help them with that or to maybe copy it and and 
you know, create ones for different regions. I don't know. I, that's not something that I'm going to be able to do. But but I do still love the idea that it gives the artist a starting point. Like the whole basis behind it is very important because there are so many artists that are starting out that don't have the mentorship, that aren't connected through conferences or other things and just not knowing what to do and sometimes taken advantage of. And I, I think that's the point of it is to help prevent artists from being taken advantage of. And, and I'm all for that. And I really think that that really plays back into a part of the conversation that they had of teaching artists really being the backbone of so many organizations, presenting organizations, arts ed organizations, producing theaters. I mean, so many organizations really work with teaching artists and are rarely mentioned in mission statements of those organizations. Um, artists and especially teaching artists aren't always represented on the boards. And that really, that really struck me. And I guess I've, I've known that, but I don't know if I've ever thought about it really in those terms and seeing like the tool that he talked about and the, the Mid-Atlantic um, teaching artists group that he's working with, all of that is volunteer. And it just speaks so much to the isolation that teaching artists have. You know, I, we've talked about how much we love teaching artists <laughs> and just the work that really needs to be done, you know, in equity, really. Um, in building up their ability to have a career and to to make a life. One of the other things uh, interesting in talking about his work with the different teaching artist organizations was the fact that different states are putting regulations into place to protect teaching artists from discrimination. And some uh, note in Devin's story that was cut for time was that when he worked for the Transit Authority, he worked as an equal employment opportunity officer. So he was working on discrimination cases. So now he's able to take that very specific training that he had and use it to help teaching artists and doing that training he was talking about and making sure that they understand the law and the laws that are being put in place to help them and protect them, I think is a really cool aspect of their story and something that I don't think we think about as administrators, what protections need to be in place for the people that we're contracting with and we're working with. Yeah. And I think that ties into something that we've talked about many times here that other non-artistic jobs in your career have direct application into where you land in your career and that it gives him a unique perspective on this to advise people in these types of situations. We did have to cut a good bit of this for time. And we talked about in this episode about being um, the CBE, being able to get a contract where as a teaching artist, they could get 10,000, but, you know, hired on as a group, you know, that jumped up to a hundred thousand that they could get. A good part of it, that story that we had to cut was that um, due to the friendliest way I can say this is a procurement error <laughs> that bypassed them as a CBE, went to an outside, um, a contract that went to a group that is actually outside of the district. There was a whistleblower that sort of found this and connected them in another organization to even find out that this had happened. And they ended up needing to file grievances um, and going to a hearing in front of the DC council and had significant amount of media attention. It's been a very hard struggle for them to build this business and to have like taken all of this time and effort to build the CBE and to get that license to still be just fighting to get the piece of the pie that they thought would kind of be theirs um, is something that being a teaching artist or a small organization, we don't want to think will have to happen to us, but really pulling back that curtain and seeing that in order to really have a career, sometimes these are the kind of ways that you have to operate. Your business is a really enlightening look at something that we don't often talk about. I think it's really great that they took that hardship and took those struggles. And then instead of, you know, sort of going just based on like the, the woe is me route, they went, how can we prevent other groups from having to go into this? Which is what seems to have led to like more consulting. Cause like listening to this, my entire time, I was like, at some point in my life, I want to be able to hire them as consultants <laughs> because there is so much knowledge there that like in this short amount of time that I was like, clearly like they know what's up. Like they 
I think could help like streamline or maybe even some points like revolutionize some of the things that that uh, that, you know, Quad City Arts is trying to do on a totally different topic. I just want to shout out because I looked into that also their radio uh, programming. We yeah. Nation, W-E-E Nation Radio. Look that up. It is incredible. The music is so awesome, but yet appropriate for kids. I just wanted to shout that out because it deserves it. The most surprising takeaway from this is downloading the We Nation Radio app. Like, I don't have kids, but like, I enjoyed it a lot. Like, it's not necessarily like music just for kids, but like, it has a, a, a kid's slant to it. And I have found a lot of artists that I didn't know existed. Um, and a lot of like stylistically like music that I don't get to hear very often. And so like it's there's a, a wide variety there. So as a non-parent, I would encourage everybody to download it, check it out. Yeah. Imagine um, there being a group of people that have a radio station and we talk about it for like a millisecond. <laughs> there's just so many other things that they do that are so incredible. Thank you so much for letting me bring them to the podcast, for listening to their interview. Lolita and Devin's love of each other, love of performing for children, love of artists, and just love for the arts in general is so palpable when you meet them, when you're with them. And I hope that it comes through in the interview. So thank you again for joining us on There Is No Business Like. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to There's No Business Like. Our producers and hosts are Brian Zelmer, Josh Benson, Kevin Maynard, Katie Miller, and me, Danielle Vanho. Views expressed in this podcast are ours alone and are not reflective of the organizations we are a part of. Keep up with us at nobusinesslife.com. There you'll find links to all of our episodes and socials. If you like this podcast, give us a like, a follow, a review, or our favorite, a five-star rating. Oh, wait, what was that site? <laughs> I got it. Don't worry. It is nobusinesslife.com. Do I sound out bus I-ness every time I type it? Yep, sure do. Stay in touch, my friends. Nobody, a lot of the parents don't know who I am when they're new. And so I'm just sitting there and sometimes they'll talk to me. Oh, this is, you know, and they'll tell me this is a great place, huh? Or they'll ask me things and stuff. And it's kind of like being a fly in the wall, which is cool. But when they learn who I am, everybody refers to me as Mr. Carla. <laughs> like, Are you Mr. Carla? And then they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Does that, I'm like, it's fine. I've been called that for 21 years. I'm, yeah. I'm totally fine. I love that. <laughs> Who's coming in on this one? All of us. <laughs> Let's all talk at once. Three, two, one. Hey, Cocaine Daniel, donkey. Was I was really thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Notice how it was just the boys that did that. Wait, did you not say something? No. I could have swore I heard your voice. Which one of you sounds like Katie then? <laughs> Way to be a team player. I thought we were all going. <laughs> I don't participate in your shenanigans and chaos. Uh... You're here right now. Well, after my edits, it'll sound like you do. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk at once. Three, two, one. Hey, Dan. I'm super comfortable with Brian just layering me in in places where I, <laughs> I wasn't. You should join SAG-AFTRA. <laughs> Topical.